Welcome to the Behind the Bits podcast. Your host, Scott Curtis, wants to learn everything he can about stand-up comedy and take you along for the ride. Scott and his guests talk serious about comedy in every episode. Behind the Bits will uncover knowledge from different perspectives on subjects such as writing and performing stand-up comedy, as well as booking shows and the comedy life. If you're thinking about becoming a stand-up comic, already in the comic game, or a comedy nerd, Behind the Bits is the show for you. Now, let's get Behind the Bits. Tonight is uh, it's a really special one for me because I talked to a lot of comedians and this guy was on my short list, but I was scared to ask him because I had asked quite a few comedians of his caliber and either got blown off or their publicists so maybe next year or something like that. And but I did ask him and we get to talk. So my guest tonight started doing comedy back when he was a teenager in Philly and was uh, one of the guys who was actually on Last Comic Standing twice. He was on uh, season two and season three, which was the five best from each season. That's how I got to know him and really enjoyed seeing him after that. And he's done a lot of albums and a lot of specials, but the one I watched last is Act Happy on uh, Netflix, which just not only was a great, comedy special but he did it different he had a band and he used the band and it was really neat what he does he's just one of the coolest comics i know let's just bring him out so i can shut up it's a todd glass wow todd hi how you doing Oh man, it's really great to meet you. I'm I really am a big fan, and uh, you are just about six months younger than me. We're from the same era, before internet, and uh, back when the only way you could watch comedy was live or one of the late night shows that was on TV, and that was about it. And by the way, I appreciate what you said. Oh, and that always it hits me right here in the heart, like yeah. saying something kind like that. I, I appreciate that because I actually was proud of that special, and I was like, I like. I feel people know what I'm up to. I'll be honest with you, like uh -huh. if I do an interview at any magnitude, I feel like if they haven't seen that, even if they saw the one five years before that, they have really no idea what I'm doing out on the road. And you want your friends to, or if you're doing an interview, it's not. Because that's, even though from that special till now, the band does, that was just the start of it. But that yeah. was the start of it. And, and uh, I appreciate the kind words. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, you've got one of the longest-running podcasts going. Uh, you, you started the Todd Glass Show back in 2011, didn't you? Yeah, I, I did one before that with a friend, and then you know, the podcast is just next to stand-up. It's easy to do because it's fun to do. It, a friend of mine said something about my podcast. I can talk about social issues. Mostly it's silly. In the beginning, I used uh -huh. to talk about social issues up front, and then, but now it's pretty much just silly. But yeah. it's like intense silliness. Three people sitting down, and we have a sound effects person right there. So we're playing, and there's someone there. If we want to be at an airport, boom, we're at an airport. And we're just right. doing bits with someone at the board doing sound effects is a lot of fun. And so the podcast is just fun to do, so I'm consistent with it. It's almost better than hanging out with comedians in real life, because in real life, you don't <laughs> turn your phone off. This is like, we have to do the podcast. But really, what that means is just commit to each other 100% with right. enjoyment. 
Yeah. So it's very yeah. special. Yeah, and that's funny because that's really why I started this one, too. I had done a podcast previous to this that was more of a, a, a local thing where I used to live and really enjoyed it. And I really enjoyed connecting with people who I normally wouldn't have met or talked to. And it's funny how you just, you like a special bond with some of my some people you interview and then they're just gone and, and that's fine because you didn't click but some people you become friends with for life and from that podcast and this podcast i've made some really great friends and that what more can you ask yeah, right. that's that, that's really the what we need in life is more friends anyway so yeah that's that's what i like now I'm going to I'm going to jump into something that you were on a podcast last year it was Peter McCraw Peter McGraw I'm not joking I don't know if you remember being on that one okay. but he is he does a very good podcast he stopped doing that one for a while and he's doing a podcast about being single now but he when he talked to me, because I interviewed him as well, he talked about different types of comedians, and he put it into really two things. One is a thermostat comedian, and one is a temperature comedian. So a temperature comedian is somebody who just says what's going on in their life and says this, they've got their act and stuff like that. And the thermostat comedian is somebody who not only wants to make people laugh, but they want them to come away with something that might make them think about something a little bit different, maybe change their mind about something, maybe put one of those little worms in their ear that makes them think a little bit different. And even though you're very silly and you are super good at being silly, I think you're a, a pretty good percentage of that thermostat type comedian where you want people to be a little bit kinder when they leave the show than when they came in. A, a, am I pegging you right well, with that? Yeah, just out of my own paranoia. And again, I love to talk about comedy because I think it makes you a better comedian. So when uh -huh. I get a little paranoid, you get a self introspective, but it's fun. And I think it makes you a better performer. That's why it's good to have these uh -huh. conversations, not to just, mm. you know, but I just want to just out of my own paranoia, I want to say, it's not like it's better to do that. So as long as you're authentic, right. whatever, like whenever I see a comedian, like you see something that inspires you, it can inspire you even if you're not that good what that person does, but it's your right. it's authenticness. Like, so you can decide not to talk about social issues and be some of the best comedians on the planet never took on social right. issues. Uh, yeah. It's just a choice you make. For me, it was like, it's it just slowly happened. Now, like I said on this next tour, I, I said to myself, after the pandemic ends, I think I'm going to go out and just be uh, the, uh, silly. No more opinions, uh -huh. no more social opinions, just this tour. Just, I have yeah. enough I'm complaining about already. And then I go, I'll just, I'll still have plenty of things I can talk about. I'm not limiting myself, like, to say anything, but, like, your social views, you'll... But then it's hard, because then the tour starts, and things happen, and then you, you want to... So I just try to make myself a promise that I'll make it funnier than preachy. And, I, and, yeah. I've, and I've made yes. that mistake. I, I, it's all the way I can stop it, is admit it, and just... So just make a joke that's funnier than preachy. And uh, on your podcast, you can do whatever you want. You don't have to be funny. Or right. We're having a different conversation. But on my rule, if you're going to try to say something, just it's okay. Just make it funnier than preach. Otherwise, you get people to just applaud when they agree with your opinion. They're like, yeah, yeah. but it's not. And that's not real. That's not how you do it. It's funny because you go into silly and then you might make just a very small comment about just 
be nice to each other. Yeah. And then you'll go right back in the cell. It's very, yeah. it's almost subliminal sometimes. Well, it's a good, if you, if, just if you feel like expressing yourself in that way, it's a great vehicle to do something. It, look, it doesn't have to change anybody socially to be great comedy. It's just, if it happens yeah. to, it's not like the ultimate is. No, it's just, if you, if it's something you want to do, it's not, it's a little bonus that you could change people's opinions. It's a powerful thing. That's why you want to make right. sure you're fucking right, because otherwise, mm -hmm. that's why I do it. Because I think well, sometimes through, and then I'll shut the fuck up. But like, I was talking to a friend today on the phone, and it's about what we just talked about, about make it funnier than preachy. And I gave him an example. He goes, what's a joke you have you think that's funnier than preachy? I go, I think the joke about peanut allergies is funnier than, like, uh, the joke is, they used to say, I want to give my opinion, but it's funnier than preaching. I, I, the joke is, back then, there people that go, oh, there weren't peanut allergies 50 years ago, and they're right, that's, and they think it's ironclad, they're like, no, come on, they're bullshit, there, there weren't peanut allergies 50 years ago, and, I want, and the joke is, yeah, but you know what there were? A lot of unexplained deaths. Yeah. Like, that's, so if it's that, and it happens to be in about an opinion, then I'm okay with it, but I right. half the time it's me. I have the band, so sometimes they start playing, and I think well, that lets me. Uh -huh. That says I'm not taking myself too seriously if I'm playing Glory Hallelujah in the background, but yeah. that only goes so far. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we're of that generation. We're right there where everybody not everybody our age, but a lot of people our age are always saying it was better then, and. It's really hard. You get stuck in that. And if you don't find something to get you unstuck, then you're just going to stay there. And you're going to say, hey, the Internet's bad. The, what kids to do to today is just bad. The, the way we do our phones is bad now. And a lot of it's because we can't adapt. A lot of people of our, of our age, we have trouble adapting, and we don't want to take the time to understand what, other people think and how other things work you know it, it really the same problems that affect comedians i think affect people in their regular lives too and it's just getting change starts look change is hard but it's just it's just the change you don't want to change everything is you don't want to do anything and it's just, it doesn't make you a good person in regular life it's you gotta want you should be glad you're evolving like it's yeah. work, but it's, it's not what you would hope for. If someone said, hey, as you get older, would you want to evolve till, like, you die? And who would go, well, not till I die. <laughs> like, uh, who wouldn't want to go, yeah, I hope I do. Why would you want to evolve? And if you could get out of your own way and go, it probably makes it easier to go through life because you're evolved, so you have better relationships. So you would hope, yeah, if it takes a little work, I'll fucking take it on. Why not? Oh, my God. I'm like, it's but it's work. Yeah. It's work. Yes, it is. And, um, yeah, and I've seen, I've been doing stand-up long enough where I don't want to make those mistakes. And my mistakes aren't egregious, but I have them there. Jokes I wish I could. But the difference is my new stuff shows the way I feel, loud and clear. I didn't just stop doing right. a joke that was punching down. I did it and almost mm. went the other direction. I go, I can yes. still punch at the people that need to be verbally punched. <laughs> You're just changing yeah. who you're angry at. You can still be you right. the same. You don't have to change your style whatsoever. So once you're... So it's just what a good comedian is supposed to put a litmus test on absurdity. And uh -huh. I personally think once you don't see the absurdness in that comedy... Look, you might think it's in a rut, but the fact that you don't acknowledge that I've seen this happen from the 50s to the 60s, 70s, everybody said it. You don't... You're acting like I don't know that. Like, you're... 
what are the odds that when history writes itself, get out of your own way what yeah. you think right now, that when the answer to this, not you, but anybody who thinks comedy used to be better. Yes. What do you think is going to happen in 2050 when they're reminiscing about comedy? Do you think the story is literally going to be, yeah, it was good in the 50s, 80s was a boom, 2020, it all went bad. No. Yeah. They're going to be watching the best of the best and watching that it took amazing turns and diversity and it, and it was pure and you could talk about anything you want, even though they sometimes think you can't say anything anymore. Come on, you can talk and say on stage... More people might have resistance, yeah. but so fucking what? It's that's blah blah yeah. blah. And so comedy is great. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna switch gears a little bit. This is gonna be a weird interview because I'm not gonna say, hey, what was it like when you were a kid and I, all that kind of stuff because I like to move forward. So I I want to talk about another thing you talked about with Peter McGraw, and you were very eloquent about this when you were talking about club settings and you mentioned the comedy attic in bloomington as being one of the best clubs in the country not only because of the way they're set up but also because they have rules about comedy you can't be an asshole and come to a comedy show there but we all know what everybody that's done comedy knows what a good comedy club is it's a low ceiling it's dark the stage is well lit you can't hear a bunch of noise from the kitchen the 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 staff knows when to bring the drinks out and all that kind of stuff so we all know what is best a lot of people who have comedy clubs don't know what's best yet but there's a lot of people like me, for instance, who want to put on a show. So I want to do a showcase. I want to do something that is that brings in five, six comics, and we'll all do 10 minutes or whatever. And those venues are usually not anywhere near what you would want for a true comedy club. So high ceilings, maybe it's a rock club, maybe it's a coffee shop, maybe it's just a pub and people are all sitting on one side, nobody's in front of you, that type of thing. What type of advice would you give to somebody who's putting on a show like that to overcome all of the things that are wrong with that particular venue? Wow. That's a good specific question and, and fun for me <laughs> to answer because I always talk about that other stuff. This, I'll be talking about mm -hmm. it, but in a very more specific way. And I love this mm -hmm. one because, look, I, I, I always try to say positive before I go negative because I'm just passionate. I'm, as I get older, I start realizing I don't want my passion to come off as negative. I do see mm -hmm. it, and I'll get to your question real quick. And I do see it set up right about 20% of the time. And it's amazing. And I always go out of my way when I'm in a one-nighter where they, oh, look what they did. Yeah, they made it work. That was made such a difference. So like, even while yeah. the crowd's being seated, because right. I remember going to see a band once. I didn't know who they were. It was in a bar. They had a bar in the room, but my friend managed them. And then all of a sudden, the lights went lower. And I heard five mm -hmm. minutes, and then they started shutting all the black curtains. And then the lights came down, and the whole room got dark, and they shut a curtain behind, and the bar lights went blue. I remember. It was like, and it was just, I went, I swear to God, I went, oh, because I don't heard of these comedians, uh, these singers. It's if somebody went to see comedy, the same thing happens. You might not know who they are, but I swear to God, I went, oh, I think they're about to be good. You don't get to work at a place like this if it's this good the way they said so this is a show. And I knew it, and guess what? Right. I was fucking right. The first singer yeah. came out, and it was like, what the fuck? This is what... So the same thing happens with comedy. So even if it is at a bar, 
I think the clean advice is, look, a lot of times you, th you put a show up, they don't really want it there. So in those cases, you just do what you got to do. At least you got up on stage. But if you really wanting to cultivate a comedy night at a bar, you got to not be petrified to go over a few things that you're going to want to do in the early stages. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be perfect for comedy. But I think a lot of times when you see it done wrong, one, because they can't do it. Like the place that's having it there won't let it. Once you draw a crowd, they start and they're selling a ton of drinks and they start letting you do more. But in the beginning, you feel like they're going to kick you out anyway. I get it. I get it. But... Mm -hmm. If up front you're not afraid to say, hey, and can we put, can we darken that over there? Can I put a black piece of material in that window because the light's going to be out when that, up front? And if they seem that irritates out of you, then that's not the place you want to do it. You want to be met with some, yeah, we, we could do this. We can make a good sense of purpose. Music, if they walk in there and look, everybody's trying to get the crowds ready. I get it. Just different people do yeah. different things to get them ready. I get it. Personally, and I think a lot of people, Better comedians, I hate to say it, would agree with me. It's really calming them, not putting them to sleep. The music should be something they haven't heard. I go instrumental, out just because no less noise pollution. They're talking, let it be. Uh -huh. I get cool instrumentals, cool fucking instrumentals. I play it, and, and what are we talking about? The uh, also the music. Uh, so if you do that at a yeah. bar show and they let you, a lot of times they will let you do it. You uh -huh. just don't ask. That's a big deal. Just from the minute they get in there, maybe the lights are a little lower. Maybe there's two candles, two, one candle on the bar. It's a little darker. Uh -huh. One flickering candle on a bar is like a real one. Electric candles, you should buy electric candles and you have a box. You put them in, you set them up front. You have to make it look like a sense of purpose. And you. Uh -huh. And I think on these one-nighter shows, it can be, yes, yeah, sometimes I get it. The venue won't let you. But I think more than that, people don't know what to do. They know when it's done, but they don't always repeat it. So mm -hmm. look at the places where the better crowds are. It's usually because they did it right. A lot of times when these places become infamous, oh, that play Thursday night, they've been doing it for eight years, you usually find out it's set up right, the lights go down, there's right. a proper microphone. So just run it. That's what that there. Did that answer your question? Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, that, and that's really good. And it's funny, you talk about lighting and things like that. One of the places um, back in South Bend, Indiana, where I was putting on shows was a, a very good rock club and they had one of the best sound systems in the world. However, the stage was, I think it was four feet off the ground and the tables, there was a dance floor in between the tables and you moved the tables up as much as you could, but you couldn't move them all the way up because you were so high up, they'd be looking up your nose. So there was, there, there was a lot of stuff to worry about there. And the funny thing is that I did it on that stupid stage, I think four times. And then finally, I had a comedian who is confined to a wheelchair, and I knew I had to do it on the floor. So I'm working with the lighting guy, and I told the lighting guy, hey, can we turn off all the lights except for can you take one can and just point it down at us, and we're going to stand on the floor. We're not going to even use the stage. So he moves everything. Very. The guy who owned the place was a friend of mine, so it was mm -hmm. very easy to get people to uh, do what I wanted and we did that and the funny thing is it wasn't my best attended show but there were more laughs at that show than any other show it's you know what it's so funny I had the same experience I was I don't even remember the city now but I went there and they had a theater and we were only going to have about the theater probably held about 350 and I had about 100 mm -hmm. and same exact mm -hmm. thing the high stage if I move but I want to move the chairs up 
So same thing. I went on the floor. They were very nice. I said, but I had a three-piece band also. I'm like, you know what? It's okay. They'll set up over there. Can you black out the stage? They were like, oh, yeah, they blacked out the stage. Just like you said, one can. And now the band was there, 100 people. Then it was so it felt so full they had to bring in some high tables. Yeah, because we made if we would have yeah. left it the old way. Yeah, I liked it. It looked like, oh shit, it spilled, and now they're bringing in some high chairs in the back, and they're as yeah. opposed to doing it with on the stage. It would have not been able to be as intimate. It's yeah. you know, and the point is the bigger point is I always say this stuff because a lot of I do want when I see a one nighter I always root for them, and I'm always sometimes I'll even offer people like. Hey, if you want me to help you do this, like I, yeah, everyone, like they'll go, yeah, a lot of people mm -hmm. said ask you. I go, I'll do it in a heartbeat. All you got to do is call me. You call me, you want me to go, right. I'll go to Lowe's with you. We'll buy the extension cord, the clamp on lights. I'll give you, I even have a piece of big uh, old curtain from the podcast studio. You can hang it up every week. Just uh -huh. call me. I'll fuck, I, I love doing it. I'll help you. And, and when you do those little things, people walk in, like you, you talked about the candles and things like that. When you do those little things, people walk in and say, oh, shit, this is going to be real. This isn't just a couple kids getting together saying, hey, let's put on a play. And you have to remember that not everybody that goes, hey, look, the music analogy, I think, is a great one because I didn't know. I'm not, we're not criticizing anybody. It's like you don't, there's, I don't know musicians unless they're at a different level. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But just by the way it was set up, and that starts... I think at that place, I figured it out literally three minutes before showtime because this shut, that shut. Like, I didn't realize they had big, thick curtains and they, the little change. Yeah. I'm like, oh, this is like bar became a service bar behind a curtain. I was like, what the fuck? So that's the same thing that's going to happen. So I try to make that happen from the second the doors open. The yeah. minute they get in there, there's funky music playing. It's dark. And it's, you can make anything look cool if it's dark and you gel the lights blue just give it a vibe play some cool music that's upbeat but mm -hmm. it change a whole energy and that's what gets a crowd ready to me that's what gets a crowd ready not riling them up i think it's calming them down and uh -huh. you can always get them energetic right before you introduce the first comedian hey with all that out of the way right. we hope you're in a good mood not let me hear you make noise i always say to clubs don't be a, we can't hear you make some noise don't be a make some yeah. noise club. You're better than that. I told a club once that. Yes. I go, you're better than that. You're not a <laughs> make some noise. Just it's it's. You, do they think they do that in a cool jazz club? Here he is. Make noise. Yeah. <laughs> they know what to do. Right. So thinking about and, and I don't want to. I don't want to. Like I said, live in the past. But you obviously started out young and you learned a lot before. I watched a clip you did in '92 and. What I saw in 92, even though it was different jokes, I felt like the Todd Glass that I'm seeing now was pretty much there. You didn't, you weren't, you were obviously super, it, the, the 92 Todd Glass versus the 2001 Todd Glass, I felt like you were pretty close to what you are now in your comedy persona. Did you find that fairly early? No, the opposite. I, I was always, I think the one thing that let me become a better comedian, I was aware when, look, sometimes the better comedian gets better laughs. That happens a lot. Great comedians. I'm not implying. But there are nights yeah. when sometimes 
the comedian that's a little, and in my case, I'll, I'll use me as an example. That way I'm not offending anybody. Uh, I would do better, mm. but I knew that person was funnier because I was, I knew what I wanted to grow to be. Not, okay, I did that. You know, I did that good, that and I'm better than, if you do better than whoever it is, because you know that they're better. That's because yeah. they're, they didn't get it. So I, or I mm. could have been like, I got bigger laughs than blah, blah, blah. I, could, I knew it. Like, yeah. all right. So that helped me grow. But, so I was always like envious of comedians that sort of seemed to find their voice early on. They they might get better and better, but like you, even three years in, me, excuse me, I don't think really until it was like when they said everything was falling apart and the they, the alternative <laughs> scene came about, upon and there was a yeah uh, the M bar and they the M bar became this very just like the meltdown or the UCB just this yeah. big part of comedy and the audiences that came in. <laughs> we're so nurturing that's when as corny as it might sound that's when i felt like i figured out oh okay i know what i want to do that was really an amazing time for me and uh, i was glad i was a part of it and i'm glad i'm a part of what's getting better and better about comedy i don't i mm. i'm hoping i never i don't want to i just want to i'm one of those people i do want to grow until i drop dead and one of the things you mentioned on other podcasts uh, about the comedy community, th that they get a bad rap for being so competitive and not not a nurturing atmosphere, and they're not nice to each other. But I, I think you and I have both seen a different side to that, where comedians can be really good to you and help bring you along. Are you still seeing that in, at, at your stage? Look, I never want to say anything that's all oh, this. You want to think you have good perspective. Sometimes that mm -hmm. means cleaning up something even before you say it. So with that said, not, not to, to also realize the, the discrimination that goes on even in, in comedy. You'd hope there'd be less of it. People that you know, that, that, it's like whenever they say, you know, have a diverse show and people go, hold on, I want to make sure I'm answering your question. I smoked a little bit. What was your question? Oh, it, it was about how comedians get a bad rap just basically for being oh, oh, assholes oh. to each other. So when, they, yeah. look, not disregarding that toxicity that at, from afar, you can at least go, there's a lot of fucking toxicity and that, that really makes a lot of people's lives shit. That, you know, that, that I, yeah. of course, I, that gets you frustrated because you want to believe... Well, in the comedy world, I want to believe we're like, at least it's not the same as here as in the regular world with that type of bullshit. At least, no, it is. Okay, mm. but with that said, so I come, I come from a place of perspective. I think when it comes to the scenes, look, maybe I'm wrong. Everybody's perception is their reality. But I think it's so five-and-dime therapy. When I say there's always a good group in every scene and a, and a negative group, whatever you want to call it. There's always a really mm -hmm. positive group. And they, it's a group of people, and they almost, like, they really want to see you succeed. There might be one person you don't like, but overwhelmingly, and there's another group that might be a little... Look, you don't get to just be in the good group unless you got to give that type yeah. of love out. you got to... So all I'm saying is, if you think, oh, that scene's very backstabby, I'm not saying isolated situations. I'm talking about when you're saying the entire scene... You want to do mm -hmm. a self-check to go, is there another more friendly group and I'm not with them? I'm just in the group that I've created that I like on other opinions and things, but they're not too, that's that. 
Yeah. And I appreciate that. It's funny, you talk about different scenes, and it's funny how within the same city, there's different scenes. I did a open mic once in a city that I won't name that's very famous for music, and I did that open mic, and I introduced myself to the other comedians. I was the only one that was from out of town, and they all said hi, and then they just left. They just went up and talked to themselves. And when they brought me on the stage, the guy introduced me as uh, Scott Cuntus instead of Scott Curtis. And I was pissed. Yeah, I'm a fighter type of guy. I'm one of, one of those types of guys that when they do that, I want to grab them by the neck and take them outside. And it was it, – it, I – held that in but i didn't have an enjoyable experience my set sucked everything yeah. everything was bad on the other side of town i do an open mic and everybody's really nice they're like hey where are you from blah blah, blah. We're, we're talking after i did my set they were like man i really like that one and, and all that so it was really funny how it was different just on, from one side of the town yeah. to the other side of the town different people different total different vibes yeah, because i i don't think the reason it's, I'm contemplating it is because, you know, what if I'm wrong, hypothetically, and I'm going, there's always a positive scene, and people are like, yeah, this guy doesn't, he thinks there's not. There's just not. I don't yeah. know. I think I might be right, because what are the odds? Look, I make a lot of mistakes in life. I'm not, whenever you think you're getting up on the pedestal, you want to say, look, I, I, in some areas of life, people make me be a better person. I listen to that podcast. It makes me, oh, I'm a better person for taking in. I have a conversation with a good mm -hmm. friend of mine, like Gary Goldman. I hang up the phone, more involved. I'm just saying in this slice, you know, that, and again, I'm sorry, where, where are we? Just talking about being nice as a comedian to other comedians versus oh, being oh, an asshole. I, I think this is where I was going. But, Leah, I've met, I, oh, yeah, I find it hard to believe that every situation I'm in, I just happen to find the nice group. Because I've, in L.A. and Philly, I have found that there's always a really cool group and where I made like really great friendships and, and people can even have their flaws, but there can still be a consistency about them and a warmth. And cause I've met a lot of those people in standup. But when I started people that were mm -hmm. supportive at open mic night. So I think you always got to make sure if you're given it, you got to be a stick around 10 minutes to tell someone they had a nice set. It's worth it. If you're that person, mm. you know what? I'm going to fucking stick around. That was a really good set. I'm going to, yeah. you'll get that love back. But you got I think that's really, to be honest with you, monumentally good, clean advice. It's what you're saying is right. you have the ability to give yourself a self check because it'll change your life if you go, shit, is he right? Am I giving it? And then you start giving it out there. I know that's five and dime sort of Tony Robbins bullshit, but it's pretty specific right. to stand up. That's the difference. Yeah, and talking about Tony Robbins' bullshit as it goes with comedy, the funny thing is if you put out that vibe and you are just nice to everyone and you give everyone positive feedback that, that deserves it, obviously, and you are there for everyone, not every one of those people is going to reciprocate. You don't, you can't do that type of stuff expecting reciprocation. It's probably going to come from somebody else. That's so well said. It's like a, a boss of mine once said, the, the harder you work, the luckier you get, but the nicer you are, the more you attract nice people. Yeah. Goes a long way. Yeah. I, I always tell everyone yeah. I, I do it for a few reasons. I guess, one, I'm pretty insecure. I'm very insecure. It really helps if I walk into a place and I feel loved. So you learn this common denominator that if you give a lot of love, you'll probably end up getting it. So it goes both yeah. ways. Yeah. You go to a club you've been to every right. year for the past 10 years, and that you walk, if you treat, if you have, it's not even work. Most of the staff at A Rooms, there's nothing better than a, a comedy club staff. So 
You go yeah. in there and you, sh- you throw love, you get it, and that's what you return to every time. It makes your world, it makes right. your life better, obviously. Okay, I'm going to change gears again. Thinking about, obviously not thinking about your, like a Netflix special or something like that, but when you're getting ready to headline a club in Pasadena or whatever, and you are, you got an hour to do, what percentage of that hour is baked and you're going to say it and what percentage is going to be some off the cuff riffing off of what you already said and completely impromptu i i started using a binder on stage about five years ago i just mm-hmm. didn't feel like remembering it and then i remember as you get older i remember once we were doing a netflix <laughs> special and i asked the director i go because i thought he's going to say no but i go I, I think because when you're younger, you do a Comedy Central one, and you can't have notes. They'll put it in the teleprompter. They tell you no. I get it. I'm yeah. like, I still use them back then. I What I did back then was I said, they told me I couldn't use my notes. They didn't want me to use my notes. I didn't <laughs> yeah. tell them I was going to do it. I go, so I brought notes, and they don't want me to use them. I go, all right, I'll just put them over here in the stool. But, but on the, this one, you realize they go, yeah, if you want to. So they, we put in a really nice binder, and they printed it out on black paper so the words were, like, in tan. So it didn't look yeah. like the camera caught it. And I loved it, having the, that being the beaten path. And I could put na- notes yeah. in there that remind me to do something exactly where I want to do it. And I'm not, like, staring at yeah. it the whole show. I look at it, then I do 10 minutes of stand. Hey. If I flip a page, I explain it up front. And I have to say I liked it because well, I, felt- I felt like more that you were, like, a piccolo player just turning the sheet music versus versus being uh, a, a com- comedian reading notes. Yeah, no, it's, I always tell the crowd, I go, I'm about 50%. I, I explain why I do it because I, I, I go, I forget a lot. So this is just easier. I don't want to remember yeah. shit. They laugh, blah, blah, blah. And so <laughs> I know about how much because I have the notes. So I would say on a good night, the better the night, the more you're, you're 50-50. 50-50, mm-hmm, yeah. I, I like having it because sometimes, especially because I smoke, I can forget where I'm at. I go, it's just very calming. It's very calming having it. Yeah. Yeah. And does the energy of the crowd dictate which way you're going to go to? Unfortunately, too often, yeah, too much. So, like, I get, if I don't think everybody's loving it, I get very, okay, now I'll just, I won't do that bit. Because in my head, I'll think, well, that's too silly. They won't laugh at that because it's too mm-hmm. silly. They're, you know how when you're with, you're around people, even in life, even if you're not a comic, you somebody walks over to where everyone's hanging out and they're like, oh, that someone's parents came. If you just don't think, yeah, yeah, so that's what happens. I see people in the crowd sometimes, not always. and if, But if I do, even if it's only like 20%, but that's still... Two there, three there, seven there. That's it. Does it affects uh-huh. me? And sometimes I wish it wouldn't. If I have a comedian in the crowd that I respect, then that makes me not do it because I don't want to lose the respect of the comedian. Then I stick to my guns. I don't give in. But and you're this big ball of empathy, and you just want everybody to leave happy because they paid for a I ticket. Would, I do. I know. I literally <laughs> say that on stage. I go. And by the way, this is only when I feel like, oh, I, I want to get everybody. I could have eighty percent, but I'm like, no, I want the. So sometimes I will say those things, like uh, addressing that. I go, I know there's got to be a few people in the back going, this isn't even stand-up. I go, you're technically right. I try to wean them in. <laughs> but you know what? I don't think it does me that much good. I think I can go, I right, fuck them, and then please the 80% and fucking just go full steam ahead. Yeah, no doubt. So I want to tell you, I've done probably 78 episodes of this show and first off you were number three in my set of last comic standing people because i had ian bag and michael palisak so i got to get a few more people i so i want to get the whole set 
aside from Ralphie May because I can't get him anymore. But why uh, is Ralphie May? Why can't you get Ralphie May? Because we lost him. Oh, Ralphie May! I thought. Oh my God! Yeah. You know who I thought you? I, yeah. There's another comedian. His name is Ralph Harris. So when okay. you said Ralphie May, I'm thinking Ralph Harris. And then when you said, "But we can't get him yeah. anymore," I'm like, "Oh my God! What?" And then I. <laughs> Right. I, I started doing stand-up yeah. with Ralph Harris in Philadelphia. So that's like, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, you can't get Ralphie May anymore. I think we would all agree. Right. Even Ralphie May would agree on that. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Obviously, I've done all these episodes, and one of the things when I started the podcast is I wanted to make sure I don't make it about me. And I'm going to totally break my rule because I want to ask you advice about me personally. Now, I, I just turned 57 on Saturday. I started comedy when I was 52. I'm about as good as you'd think somebody's been doing it for two years. Okay, so I it's been a hobby for me. And I have always been the type of person who... People compare me, my delivery, to like David Letterman with a Ray Romano type subject matter. So they all say, hey, you remind me of Dave Letterman, and I'm clean, and all that kind of stuff. And you talked about being genuine right in the beginning of the podcast. And I feel like even though everything I do fits me, I look like either a basketball coach or a pharmacist or something like that. So this is what I should be doing. I feel like there's something I'm missing and it's a little bit more on the weird side. So I would say somewhere in between like Emo Phillips and you, and I've got that type of stuff ready to go. I I, I want to do it. I've written it. I've never said it out loud in my life, but I want to do it. Would you suggest that somebody at my stage, and I, I have moved to a new state that's uh, almost 600 miles away from where I used to be, so that helps, but would you suggest I toy around with that kind of stuff? Have you never done stand-up before? No, I've done stand-up, but it's all been very, I would say, David Letterman-like with, like, Ray Romano family-type okay, stuff I talk about. I want to be weird. Oh, want to, I want to be a little bit weirder. You, there's a few ways you can go about that. One is you just start, take out the stuff you really don't like, but if you have a few standards that help you get your footing and they're funny, but they're not, and then you start mm. feather, but you make exert, exerted effort. You go, I'd rather do a shorter set, but I'll have this. That's okay, and that's an old joke, but that's actually okay, and then... But then you'll do this mm. other stuff around it. That could be a more... But then, hey, if somebody was going to say, nope, I'm just trashing it, and I'm going to start... That, that, hey, I admire that, too. But it, it's so... Uh, there's just mm. two ways they can both be... Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I remember thinking... This is, like, literally when... George, right after George Carlin died, it, and it wraps back around to what we were saying about what do you want to be, like, what type of comedian do you want to be? And I remember asking myself that like in that year like right after george Carlin died, whatever year that was going what am i mm -hmm. what am i gonna decide what i want to do am i gonna be when i say silly it just means you're just lighthearted yeah. and silly the silly does not mean shitty it just means it's silly it can still be so right. or am i gonna be like sometimes i want to say a social issue not usually political what am i and then because they were talking about george Carlin so much somebody said george did both he went back and forth and i was like oh okay i don't have to fucking decide and that was such a relief. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, I thought I had some big, I'm going to change over what I do. But I did decide that, like you said, another side of you, I get it. I understand what you're saying because I went through that. Mm -hmm. And I just slowly started doing it in town. And then when I went on the road, I would do my mm -hmm. regular act. 
and, yeah. and, and amazing. <laughs> like literally, like I would literally do a completely different show on the road to one time they, and it was good for me what I was doing in LA. That m made me a better comic. But one topical thing, right. Comedy Central was giving out half hour specials and my manager, who really doesn't think all his clients deserve everything, he went to bat for me because he, he just literally said, can ask the, uh, somebody over at Comedy Central, can I ask you a question? Like, I get a lot of other clients. They're not my kids, but I don't get Todd Glass. She goes, we fucking love him, but would we don't know if because they're seeing me in L.A. Finding myself and being, and, and they, they, I believe uh -huh. they thought it was funny. They go, would you just go see Todd up in or send you a set from Irvine? Because that's near L.A., but I'll still do a traditional set. I went, I did the right. set, and they sent it to them. And like literally five days later, they go, yeah, we, he, he has one. So, but I don't uh -huh. know if that was a good thing because it rewarded not the better way for me to go in comedy. The other way that was, right. but that, I did start changing it over. And in hindsight, it eventually caught up with, I don't do anything different on the road or in LA. Now it's the same. And it feels, especially when she, once you get our age, that just the fact that you're getting paid and you've made a few people laugh, you really, you need it to mean something to you when you walk off the stage or it's just hunching a time. Oh, no, I, I love, I truly love comedy. No, I always say this, not to sound negative, I hope it sounds positive. Like, yeah, of course, other people working theaters and I still work traditionally comedy clubs or a black box theater. Mm -hmm. But I'm still able to stop and go, you're working good comedy clubs. So there's a big difference between working a sea room or working a helium or a comedy on state or where it's they have they serve drinks, but it's a comedy club. And those are really yeah. good crowds. And, and I'm very appreciative of that. Like I go, OK, and, and I think the only thing that can get in my way is myself. You have to grow willingly. <laughs> like I said, I don't only do it to be a better comedian and make money. Hopefully that's not the reason. That seems like a horrible reason to be change and grow and learn about new people and look back at old jokes and go, oh, I could do better than that. I do it mm -hmm. because from my heart, because it makes them get what it makes you be fair while you're here. Use your word. But if that's not enough, mm -hmm. it's, you're not going to keep doing comedy when you're older if you just, all you do is think the whole world's falling apart and all you do is complain about everything. Young people don't want to see you. Okay, so what about the audience yeah. that does agree with you? Can't you tour for them? Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, and eventually they stop going out and die. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's just the way it is. I, lo I did look at that. I get it. There's people that agree. So you got it. So I would like to be, and, and, I will, and I'll be very clear with what I'm saying. If I was like a household name, then you can get away with that behavior. But I still rely on people that are young to identify with me and to relate with yeah. me. And we do have some of the same problems. And when you get older, they like having someone that has the sensibility of a 19 or a 20, but he has his age is on our side because that's a guy who's 55 saying, that's a guy who's 60 saying that, right. that's a guy that's 70 saying that it helps them. You can really help the cause. The older I get and you have your views be on the right side, they really need that type of help. And it's it's a good thing to do. It's a good thing to do. And I'm blah. <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> I know you've been smoking. I know you're. I I I, I know you're thinking of stuff. So it's cool. It's cool. Yeah, that I wouldn't have it any other way. And but I, I guess I just to talk about what you said about the older guy 
or the older person up there being cool to the young people. First of all, I love that. And Carlin, who you mentioned, really did that for us, saying he was saying all the things that the young people at the time were thinking, and yet he was the oldest guy on the stage and probably one of the oldest guys in the theater. Yeah, my, my friend said literally today on the phone, like, he was more progressive than him, and he was like 20, and he was like, because he had certain views he had from his parents, so he sounded yeah. like, oh, it's the first time he heard someone say it. That's the power of comedy. That's why if you have a joke yeah. that's about dogs or your, the mall and it's a shitty joke, who cares? But mm -hmm. when you're talking about social issues, basically, or social issues more than anything, oh, please do your mm -hmm. homework because if you're right, that's great. <laughs> but just be aware if you're wrong. You, if you don't really delve into that, what if I'm wrong? Even may pretend for five right. minutes one night. And then you could picture all the yeah. people you're making breathe harder. You should be making them breathe easier. And you're yeah. not a hero. You're just punching people that are already getting punched. Stop selling yourself as a warrior. So, God bless America. I remember one time I did some more socially progressive stuff. And in my set, I said, it's not okay to say that anymore. And... I, I had a young comedian correct me after my set and said, it was never okay to say that. And what was he saying? I said something that was that it was not okay, okay to say that anymore. I'd rather not say what it was, but because I don't use a joke anymore, but a comedian pulled me aside and told me, a female comedian, because it was a joke centering around fe females and the Me Too movement. And she said, it was never okay to say that. And it was never okay to do that. We are just fighting back harder on it than we did. And that that meant a lot to me. And that meant that I knew I was punching way above my weight class and I was going to get beat up and I needed to stay away from that for a while until, like you said, I do my homework. Yeah, I always, I don't really come to my conclusions on social stances by what's on the table. I look at social progression. There's a, sometimes you get an opportunity yeah. in life to really learn what a phrase means. And we all know what it means yeah. to get out of your own way. And we know what that means, right. but then maybe we don't really know. Okay, remember when to apply it to yourself, like it's going to save your fucking life. So mm -hmm. if, you get, if you get out of your own way and, go, and, and come, try to come to a conclusion of which way you should go when these social issues, whether it's the Red Sox, they don't want to be called uh, the that that situation, or whether it's your take a look at history, and look, we're really talking about change people that want to change, and people want to go back to the way it was. Or let's say we widen it to mm -hmm. basically every one of these cries are a group of people. Let's go cleaner that are asking for something mm -hmm. that they feel they deserve, and there's always mm -hmm. a group of people that they go, okay, finally, all right, they deserve it, and then there's another group in that group that, that then people go, oh, that now they're going too far. Now they're and, and there's a lot of yeah. smart people in that group. They're like, no, I fought for that, but now they're too far. If you take a look at mm -hmm. just the list, hypothetically, if you wrote it, of the things that were too far, not the things that they should have, but the, when people went, no, I'm for equal rights, but that's too far, and you write all those things down, 30, 40 years later, they all are just fair requests. None of them look absurd. Yeah. <laughs> None of them read them. Tell me which yeah. ones that now you'd go, oh, my God, this is the too fair list? This is the too far list. So what I think now, yeah. what are the odds that's changing? <laughs> Whatever year you were happy with, what are the odds that evolution from beginning of time till 1989, and that's when it should all peak, uh -huh. things are going to happen on your watch. Yeah. 
Things are going to happen on your watch. Change is uncomfortable. It's a pain in the ass. But come on. It's, it, let me tell you something. It's our world problems that we don't let young people lead. Yes. Age discrimination Age discrimination is probably worse, does more detriment than anything on this planet. Because the smarter ones mm. should be leading. That just makes sense. Even if you don't believe in God, they're younger, they're more educated. They're, they're, the reason they're smarter, not yeah. because I'm trying to poke it in your face, because they, they learn about other people, the good part of the internet. They learn about people. That's why they become smarter. Not because you were bad 30 years ago. There's more yeah. people in front of us and the yeah. good side of it. And they have a clear right. And all we view. do is get in their and, way. That's yeah. a friend of mine once said, Andrew yeah. Hyman, me, a comedian. It'll be like if they're fighting a fire. Not only won't we help, but I feel like that young mm -hmm. group would go, if you don't want to help, could you just at least get out of our way? So it's like there's a fire and there's some mm -hmm. people sitting on the side. I'm not helping to put out that fire. And then, but not only are they not helping, they're literally grabbing the hose and fighting them. Like the people who are leading, yeah. if, if everyone that didn't agree with them would just do nothing but not fight them, they th then they could move. But the sh we, it's just it's just delusion, and that's why any ounce of it, I it's very hard for me to tolerate from my friends. Any ounce of the kids today, oh, I my stomach cringes. I yeah. just, it's just nuts. <laughs> I just know how dangerous that adage is, so I always try to preach the other way. And like we said, kids get smarter and smarter. If you can get out of your own way, yes, of course. That makes sense. It's a good thing. They don't have to be perfect, right. yeah. but yeah. look, go. here's another way to get out of your own way. Let's say there's something on the table right now. You disagree with youth. Okay. Again, widen the mm. scope. Go back, look at the last... In the last 30 years, what youth has defended, the, any college with big... You can go back and do your research. If the youth charged the, the sexual revolution very... And you, mm -hmm. they were never wrong. There's never something they supported. They might have done it the wrong way, their way of going about it. But if yeah. you look back, tell me which one they were wrong about. Go back, fine, oh, well, they backed that, ending the war. So what are the odds that that changed? So it doesn't matter your little story you want to tell me about why you think I'm wrong. <laughs> you, you're supposed to be smart enough to get out of your own way. I don't care about your story. It doesn't make sense on a larger scale. I'm not doubting your story. I'm doubting right. the, the, just the mere fact that kids today and it's you're scared to die. So you're wanting to make pretend you were born at a better time. But it's not true. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Just the fact that it was easier to get cigarettes out of a machine because it didn't check your age. That, that's I know. So Sometimes great. people are like, I used to yeah. be able you could drink and drive. Where are you? Is that a good thing? I've had you on for a while, but one thing I want to ask, because you are a fan of comedy as well as being a great comedian, and I know that there are a lot of underappreciated comedians out there that are probably as good or better than some of the folks we see on TV and on Netflix and stuff like that. Is there any of them in your circle that you think are just so good that they should be blowing up? Up, they should be doing really well, but for some reason they haven't made that step. Wow. I understand. Like, I have friends that you wish were because you want them to be more of a draw. Like, Eddie Pepitone to me is he has his following and he's. But go see Eddie Pepitone live. It's art. And so I wish, yeah, I wish, like, why yeah. doesn't Eddie be able to go to every city and draw even at 500 people? He should be able to. But so someone like that, but I know you maybe thought you could also mention a lot younger comedians too, but it's all over the gamut. But Mm -hmm. I, I, but again, like whenever you go to give names, I always feel like comedians, you want to give a, a shout out to, of course, you can never think of any names at all. Mm -hmm. But I go to the shows like I do shows in L.A. And about two years ago, I was like, you got to stop. Hang you got to stop wanting to go home because 
I don't want to be like, I don't know any of the new comedians. So uh, th- th- then my friend used yeah. to say that. And I would say, then learn it. It's not an excuse. It's, I don't think it's cute. No. I don't know. Any, I don't know the big deal because you're not doing your job. <laughs> you need to go look if you can. But if you can, I always want to leave right away. But I'll do my set and I'll leave right away. But if I stay, I end up making new friends. I end up talking about comedy. It's mm-hmm. fun. You meet comedians that are doing it four years, five years. Some comedian you knew for three years, but you finally talk to them. So mm-hmm. I stay right. after the show. So I do know, because I'm immersed in it, that it's in a good place. And it inspires me to be a better comedian. When I see mm-hmm. new comedians talk, doing different things, I'm like, oh, I never thought I could do that. And still do stand-up. I want to be mm-hmm. a stand-up. That's my, But you can do a lot within the conventions of stand-up and still be a stand-up. Right. So here's my last question, and this is my regular podcast question that everybody asks. What three things do you know now that you wish you would have known when you started stand-up? My grandmother was going to die unless she left me a million dollars. No, I'm kidding. Three things that I wish I would have known then. Three things I wish I would have known then. I'd be more aware socially. I wasn't, uh-huh. again, you know, I wasn't a horrible by far, but that don't matter. Not horrible is not what I'm shooting for. I wasn't mm-hmm. egregious by any means, but uh, it would have made me, that, that's comedy means a lot to me. So number one, I'd be more socially aware. Two, you know, don't. I mean, you can still respect an audience. I, I always like to make that real clear. I don't think bombing is funny. I don't think it's cute. Mm-hmm should be mm. trying your hardest but trying your hardest doesn't mean if they're not liking right. what you do you have to cowtail to maybe doing an old joke you don't do anymore it's more digestible i to to not yeah. to let to know that's going to ultimately be really bad i would have to mm. just jump right to it just jump right to it I'm doing a corporate show that's a different story i'd do whatever i fucking got to do but at a club that's why they pay you a lot of corporate shows so because uh, then you they tell you what to do that's that's yeah. what they get out of it. They go, no cursing, no this, no that. But anyway, in three, uh, yeah, true. three would have probably been if I knew if I knew Rory Scove, I probably would have would have made me. He wasn't even doing comedy back then, but uh, probably hanging out with him would have made me. Wait, I, that's not knowing anything. Liz, I made it work. If I knew Rory Scove was a friend back then, fuck Rory, yeah, fuck Scoble. Rory Scove, fuck Rory Scove, fuck Rory Scove, fuck Rory Scove. Um. uh, that was fun yeah before we uh, sign off anything that you're working on are we going to see you anywhere what's going on on with you show on hbo max it comes out in the end of august or september it's called 10 year old tommy it's a animated series and i play the lead oh cool um, it is look I, i don't know if the show will be funny but it really makes me laugh and he's done other stuff that has made uh-huh. me laugh. So yeah, when I because I don't like auditions, they make me nervous. But it was during the pandemic. Yeah. Even on the phone, I was a little more comfortable. And then I never smoked pot before an audition ever in my entire life. But I did in my house. I smoked a little bit. Then I was excited to do yeah. it because it really made it really did make me laugh. Like I could relate to it. I was like, this is we joke around me and my friends. Like this. Is, yeah. So I, once I got high, I was excited to do it. I did it. It went well. And then. I, and, and then I got the role playing the principal, and so they let me ad lib so fucking much. So it's just it's oh. absurd. So I'm really having you could say like I'm having the time of my life going in there and doing a voiceover. I've never done one before, especially one that's really funny. Uh-huh. And uh, so HBO Max, it's called Ten Year Old Tommy. There you go. That's that sounds great. So they let you? Did they let you add? 
they normally do the animation a lot yeah. of it before the voiceover, and they let well, you add anyway. I think in this case they did it after because he wants to let the people really oh, be able to. That, there's that is, times yeah. where I see what the mom is saying or the brother, and I know what's on the page. And God damn it, it's so funny. It really makes me like <laughs> snort sometimes. But yeah. it's, it's, it's so it's really funny, and I hear it's it's. I, but I've never seen it all together. That's why I say I've never seen it all together. So yeah. I'm also looking forward to it. I don't even know what my character looks like. I asked last week and she tried to pull it up online and uh, she couldn't find it. But I'm like, all right, maybe I'll just be surprised. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited for that, too. That sounds really good. It, it sounds it right is. up it's, your it's alley, It's really too. a lot of fun. And it's, it just couldn't. I'm not nervous to go auditions and sometimes acting for someone else that wants you to direct you in a certain way. It's. If it's my thing, it's I, I'm not nervous. But this to to do it, I'm not nervous to go into work. I'm like excited. Like when I get close yeah. to the place, I know I'm gonna be in there having having a good time. So that's it. Always my Netflix special, Act Happy. And thanks for the opportunity to. Uh... Yeah, if you haven't watched if you haven't watched Act Happy, it's very good. I rewatched it over the weekends just so I could bone up on it, and it was still funny the second time around. So I loved it. Yeah, and I really appreciate you being on the show. Like I said, I don't, uh, I, I don't do all these, fa all this fawning over people and stuff like that. But you are one of the people that I think of as somebody who made me want to do stand up, and I, I really enjoy what you do. And I've never seen a set of yours that. I didn't get something from and I didn't I thought was insightful and not just silly but just really good comedy and I, I really enjoy what you do it's different from everybody else and yet it really resonates with just just well, about the you. whole I audience. really appreciate that you talk about comedy a lot but I, I appreciate if anybody said it but was a student about comedy and you talk about comedy all the time that's like a, that's a nice compliment I, I appreciate it